The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Happy Sunday, everybody. Welcome to this 24th episode in the month of October. We're almost there. One week to go to hit our 31 shows in 31 days goal. I have confidence now. We're over the hump, and I think we can make it. I'm your host, Dan Bespris. Same guy. You're pretty used to me at this point. You can follow me on Twitter at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S, or just Google Dan from Hoopball. That's an easy way to find me. This, of course, Fantasy NBA Today, a Hoopball presentation. I would ask you all, check out what we got going on over at Hoopball. Even if it's just the Twitter feed, at Hoopball Fantasy, that's up to the minute. Late-breaking injury news and fantasy ramifications of everything that goes on up to the minute in fantasy sports. This is a special Sunday show, and I know yesterday I said, well, we'll probably go a little bit shorter today because it's a weekend, but today I really mean it because today I'm a bit under the weather. I'm pulling it together here. I got I got the drugs propping me up. I got like a, a wooden pole. I'm, I'm like a baby tree right now. There's just a stake, and I'm tied to it. That's keeping me upright, and whatever energy I got left is being put into my voice for this particular podcast. It was a pretty um, interesting eight-game Saturday. We gave you guys a a couple bits of homework on yesterday's show, and so let's just kind of dive right on into that. Um, In terms of NBA news, not a ton. There's a game going on already, and Terry Rozier is not in it, which I think we kind of assumed would be the case when we got word that he was questionable after turning his other ankle, so they just need to get him right. Bradley Beal, questionable. Kyle Lowry, questionable for their games, respectively. Tomorrow... But presumably, we'll get an update on that before those games shake out. So let's just dive right on into the Saturday stuff. We'll try to plow our way through this podcast at a pretty good clip and see if we can't unearth something of interest. Atlanta lost in Cleveland. This is a game that I think the Hawks will probably want to get back at the end of the year. They shot just 38% from the field. Trey Young had three steals in the game, which uh, very much covered up an inefficient shooting night. And that's always going to be the thing with him. We don't get any readings here after just a little more than half a week of actual basketball. Then we're five days into the season at this point. But from again, from a nine-cat perspective, it's just hard to envision Trey Young finishing the season where he was getting drafted. But we don't really care about that. Clint Capella has a slight minutes cap going on right now. As soon as that's done, he'll really rocket boost into the moon. He missed his two free throws here, and that was annoying. But otherwise, he looked like himself. DeAndre Hunter got 30 minutes. He seems to be the presumptive favorite at that small forward stuff. Took 16 shots, which on a normal night would be more than enough for him. But the Hawks just couldn't get anything to go down. Give some credit to Cleveland. Give some credit to just it being an off night. Hunter's a guy I'm hanging on to. Bogdan Bogdanovich, just seven shots in this ballgame. John Collins, only eight. Cam Reddish fired 14 rapid-fire shots off the bench. He's channeling his inner Lou Williams, 19.6 boards, three threes, but really not doing a whole lot else, so I don't think you're going to take that plunge on Cam Reddish. The guys you want here are Young, Capella, obviously, Collins, obviously, and then I think it's Hunter and Bogdan as your other two dudes, but it th- this was a reason that I kind of dodged these guys in drafts. 
Bogdan was someone I didn't end up with. I would have drafted him if he had fallen to me in the 80s anywhere, because my thought was, all right, even if he takes a step backwards, he's not going to go that far down the board. But effectively, one of the, I think, and we write this down now so we can bring it up again in the offseason, one of the tenets we should be living by is avoid log jams. Because as much as we think we know what's going to happen when a season starts, we just don't. You never know who might take a big step forward. If Reddish really does take a big step forward this year, he could just supplant Hunter or Bogdanovich. We just don't know. And while, again, it sort of it looks on paper like there may be an opportunity in there if you get the right guy who's falling in drafts, sometimes guys fall in drafts because they should be. And again, we're way too early in the season to make any sort of sweeping claims about the Hawks in general. I think it's just a... Look, if, if you're debating whether to take a guy who's going to be battling for his position with three other guys or someone who's not, you probably want to lean in the direction of the guy who's not. Meanwhile, over on the Cleveland side, Colin Sexton uh, had five assists in this ballgame, and I took heat for saying he doesn't pass very much, and then in this one he didn't score very much. Listen, like my job here is not to try to tell you all that Colin Sexton's not a great fantasy player. I just think he's a top 100 nine-cat guy. I think that's just where we're at with him. Uh, Jared Allen was better in this one. Still not blocking any shots. Those will come around, though. Lowry Markinen to me, listen, Evan Mobley's a monster. We can just establish that right out of the shoot. He's getting huge minutes, and he's taking advantage of them in every way possible, and no one's coming for his time. Isaac Okoro's been pretty well marginalized on this team. Played 33 minutes in this ballgame, but came off the bench, and it just doesn't have much of a role. Ricky Rubio filling in nicely for Darius Garland. No idea what kind of numbers he's going to put up once Garland's back, although he did look good in that first game of the year. So stick with Ricky, obviously, for now, and then see how it goes when Garland's back in the mix. The guy I wanted to highlight from this game is actually Markinen, who played 32 minutes and hit uh, just 20% of his shots, made just 3 out of 15, 5 of 6 at the free throw line. That's an area of, of positivity for him. These numbers are going to level off at some point, and I am not that quietly going to turn into sort of a, a an annoying pro-Lowry Markkinen guy on the show right now, because at the moment, Markkinen is number 122. And again, we can't really go on ranks very much because everything is small sample size, but he's shooting just 30% over that stretch from the field and just 75% at the free throw line. Those numbers are way below his career marks. The important things we need to look at, 13.3 shots per game, 12, about 12 points, 7 rebounds, 2 assists, a steal, a little under a block, and almost two three-pointers a night. If we try to compare this to things we've seen in the past, and admittedly, Markkinen was kind of broken a bit by Jim Boylan, but if you go way back to his first and second year in the NBA, took 12.7 shots his rookie year, averaged 15, 7.5 0.6 steals, 0.6 blocks, and over two three-pointers per game on 84% from the field. Second season, he actually took 15 shots per game. That was the whole, like, coming out party for him, 19 and 9. He's probably not going that high with Cleveland. That's That would be a lot of shots. But if he really does settle in between 13 and 14, you can sort of pick out a number in between his rookie and sophomore seasons and say, this is probably where he ends up. You know, 16-ish points per game is within reach. If he doesn't shoot 30%, free throw becomes a positive as the season goes. If he's playing 32 minutes a game, he's going to get you seven plus rebounds a night, even at power forward. And then they're playing kind of fast in Cleveland this year. So the two assists might actually be real, believe it or not. One and a half to two 
feels pretty doable. So I know that this is nuts, but if you can go out there and you can trade for Lowry Marketing with like a top 100 kind of guy, I think you're going to see profit on that. It's a weird buy low to throw out there because I don't know that people that have him even realize they're getting a low point, but he's only going to get better. I don't know what the hell happened to Miami, but they didn't show up for this game in Indiana other than Tyler Harrow, who had 30 and 10 and is a true sell-high candidate right now. He shouldn't be taking 28 shots a ball game. Uh, Indy got what they wanted to, basically, in this one. Jimmy Butler off to a weird start, field goal percent-wise. He's actually a little bit of a buy-low, although I don't think anybody really cares. Bam Adebayo, 17-16-3. He looks fine so far. Duncan Robinson was okay, but not really a guy I'm targeting. That's kind of your Miami Heat synopsis. And then with Indiana, no real changes. O'Shea Brissett got 32 minutes out of nowhere off the bench and went for 18-9. and nine. But I certainly don't have the confidence to start him in the next ballgame and just hope for the best. Miles Turner was in severe foul trouble in this ballgame. And so next time around, just assume Miles is going to get his 30 minutes and Brissett goes back to getting 10 or 15. You can keep streaming Chris Duarte, by the way, until Karis LeVert shows back up. Dallas-Toronto, this was one of our homework games of the night because we really wanted to see what these two teams were going to do in a competitive ballgame. And we happily got one here. And the Mavs story is a wonderful one for fantasy because it looks, at least here in the very early going, like Jason Kidd isn't going to screw with minutes the way that Rick Carlisle did. Kidd said, you know what? You guys are starters. Most of you, not all, most of you just go play starters minutes. Sort of the Bob Euchre, I can't find my postgame show sponsor, the hell with it kind of thing. So Tim Hardaway Jr., you go play 39 minutes. Luca, you play 39 KP, you play 29 because we're going to we're gonna kid gov you a little bit, but those are starters minutes for him and generally a good ball game other than the shooting. And Dorian Finney-Smith, you go play 36 because you're, you're the dirty work guy. We said it after the Mavs' first ball game that, that Finney-Smith might actually end up being the better third fantasy player on this team behind Luka and KP. Maybe that's a bit of a stretch because Tardaway is always going to take more shots, but Finney-Smith is going to out-rebound him. He's going to get more steals. Those things do matter. He's also not going to put an arrow through your field goal percent most of the time the way that Hardaway will as well. But it does seem like here at the front end, those four guys are all going to be inside the top 100. If they really are playing these big starters minutes on a team with Luka, especially on a night where, like, if this team shoots better on some other evening, you could see those guys do better fantasy-wise. So I like all four of them. No real surprises about two of those four, I guess. On the Toronto side, good to see OG Ananobi get things back on track. 23-4, and four, couple steals, couple blocks, better percentages here. The freight train is back on the tracks. Gary Trent Jr., 36 minutes. Uh, couldn't throw a stone in the ocean. 12 points on 14 shots. We're lucky he hit four free throws. He's going to be a tough nine-cat guy to throw out there all year. He probably does end up kind of right in that Tim Hardaway Jr., like top 100 rangey sort of thing. But he just doesn't do anything besides shoot threes. I mean, really. Scotty Barnes is locked in. Just start him wherever you can. Freddie Van Fleet is in a buy low position at the moment. And then the front court, that's the real screwy spot. We don't even have Pascal Siakam yet. Precious Achua played 33 minutes and had a pretty empty double-double in this ballgame after going for 15 and 15 the previous night. He's not... And this is a, this is like the deep dive type of thing. You've probably seen or heard a lot of people talk about a player like Nick Claxton and look at some of the upside elements about his game without really fully indulging in the downsides. With Claxton, 
He's a great field goal percent guy. You know, the block rate is okay, but and there's that sort of per 36 element that creeps in. Like, per 36, he, w- he would have averaged two and a half blocks a game last year. But a guy like that, as his minutes trend up, the block rate always comes down. And I think we can take a kind of a parallel here when we look at a guy like Precious Achua, who has these parts of his game that are very interesting. He's a good rebounder, like an excellent one, that we didn't get to see a whole lot of last year because dude only played 12 minutes a game for Miami last season, and, you know, Bam Adebayo doesn't generally take many games off. When Achua saw a few extra minutes, the weird thing was his rebounds didn't really come with it the way that you'd want them to. Sure, they were fine, but it wasn't like he got six rebounds in 12 minutes, so if he played a full game, he's going to get 15 or 16. I'm going to say he's good in that department because there's a lot of hustle stuff going on. He'll get you a bunch of offensive rebounds as well. The thing I actually wanted to highlight on Achua that I thought stood out in kind of a weird way is that he averaged .3 steals and .5 blocks a game last year with the Heat in those fairly limited minutes. But he went weeks where he wasn't really getting steals or blocks. I think some of this is just position defense. The guys that are in the right place tend to not need to get a bunch of steals and blocks if they don't have to gamble quite so much. But with Achua, it seems like they came in weird little clusters and probably a a bit more opponent-dependent than anything else. I might even say his mold is a little bit Bam Adebayo-esque in that he's pretty good at getting steals, and it's actually the blocks where I think I found him to be somewhat underwhelming at times. And even so far this year, he has three steals in three games, and he doesn't have a single block yet. So the upside with Achua isn't that high. Although, again, if he's starting and playing 33 minutes a game, he absolutely positively must be in, a, in your lineup and started because in 33 minutes a game, he'll average double-digit rebounds. That's just so many damn minutes he's going to get them. And the other guys on that Raptors team are not very good at rebounding. Also of note, after the ballgame, Chris Boucher got called out by Nick Nurse for basically sucking. He was like, I can't let him go out there and take terrible shots and just let him play. Boucher only got eight minutes in this game, two rebounds, an assist, a steal, and two blocks. He went 0 for 5 shooting. And I'm actually grateful that it happened so soon. I said on yesterday's podcast, he was kind of one of those guys I got talked into a little bit when he was falling into the mid-70s. And I thought, all right, well, you know what? There's a whole bunch of upside here if it fall, if things break right. And if they don't, whatever. Like, if I have to drop my seventh-round pick, it's not the end of the world. I've taken six crazy value plays. Let's take a swing. I love that his coach called him out because now Boucher's like, look, I got to get my act together or I'm not going to get to play. We only really need about 20 minutes out of him to hit that 70-something ADP. He can do it in 20 minutes. Anything over that is basically gravy, and I think we probably saw the low watermark. If you recall, actually, and you can go to a, a the Boucher game log from last year if you really want to, his minutes were all over the map last season, too, and the competition wasn't nearly as stiff. He's just a guy where the, the focus fluctuates so wildly that he goes from playing 30 minutes one night to 11 the next, and you just have to sort of close your eyes and hope. Although I will say for now, you could probably stick him on your bench as long as his coach is getting on his case, and then as soon as he wakes up, cash in your chips. 
New Orleans um, stinks, but at least Jonas Valanciunas was great. 20 and 17, three steals and a block on great percentages. Love ourselves some JV on this pod. And then everybody else was kind of bad. Brandon Ingram, seven turnovers and bad free throw shooting, although the popcorn numbers were nice. Nikhil Alexander-Walker had a 14 and 14 double-double, but shot six for 24 from the field with five turnovers. That stuff is... That stuff counts in Roto Leagues in particular. And meanwhile, Minnesota just sort of quietly didn't play well and won, which is what they're going to need to do this year if they want to get there. D'Angelo Russell was bad. Uh, Patrick Beverly made his Minnesota debut with 5-3-6 and six and mostly just yelled at people to play more defense, and they listened to him. Cat fouled out in 29 minutes. Nas Reed, man, that guy has a chance to be one of those weird 18-minutes hyper-contributors. Just keep an eye on him. I don't know that you need to go get him, but like he took 12 shots in 19 minutes in that ballgame. He's out there, and he's not going to get cheated when he's on the floor. One of the better backup centers in the NBA, to be sure. And Anthony Edwards, without him, Minnesota probably loses this game. Played well enough with some bad percentages, but no surprises there. And no real surprises in the next one either. Detroit put up 82 disgusting points in a loss in Chicago. Vooch, big double-double, didn't shoot well. Alex Caruso, six defensive stats. Lonzo Ball, seven. Take that, Alex. DeMar, 21-6-6 with a couple of blocks. Zach Levine was off, and the Bulls still won by 15 points, so that's kind of the new look out of Chicago. Although, at the same time, I don't know that the Bulls could have lined up a better start to the season in terms of, hey, let's go ahead and get our act together against some really bad basketball teams. Detroit twice, and the Pels once. I'm interested to see what the Bulls look like when they play a team that doesn't suck. Sorry, Detroit. Meanwhile, Isaiah Stewart and Kelly Olynyk didn't even take care of all of the center minutes in this ballgame. Trey Lyles got a few, and that's super annoying. Right now, neither one of those guys is a 12-team dude, but I do believe that that'll change, and I think it'll be both of them. Stewart, the starter, he has the first crack at it. I just I can't imagine they're really going to pay Olynyk all that money to just be a backup center and play 19 minutes a game. So hang on to both of those guys. Sadiq Bey, Jeremy Grant, those guys are clear starts, and that's as far as you need to go with Detroit. Milwaukee beat San Antonio on the road. Pat Connaughton got the bonus minutes here with no Brooke Lopez around, and Grayson Allen was fine. Not great. Not terrible. He was fine. You can keep streaming Grayson Allen as long as Dante DiVincenzo's out. I think it'd be like there's no real upside there, but also he he kind of fills a need from a fantasy standpoint. I'm also fine with you guys dropping him to pick up sort of one of the real hot free agents. And then Pat Connaughton's kind of the same story. There's not a whole lot of upside there. Lopez will be back soon. And, you know, at the end of the day, this is the, hey, do we need someone to just round out our roster? And the answer is oftentimes, yeah, we do. There's a usefulness to that, but it's not exciting. And I know on this podcast, I talk a lot about how on draft night, I want to come out of a draft with guys that are not exciting. It's a little different when you're hunting free agents at the beginning of the year. You want the exciting ones. You want the ones that might stick and elevate your team in some meaningful way. Said it once, I'll say it a million times, Derek White might be the best spur from a fantasy standpoint at the end of the year. 14-2-8 with five defensive stats and a three-pointer. Uh, he was the dude that I I was preaching here. I was like, look, you give me the opportunity for DeJounte in the fourth or Derek White in the sixth or seventh, I'm taking White in the sixth or seventh. I thought they both had top 50 potential, and White was going so much later. He's got good percentages. He does both defensive stats. 
He's passing and hitting threes. Sky was the limit for that dude, and I didn't get him in nearly as many places as I wanted to. Spurs are basically a three-horse team at this point. Uh, Keldon Johnson did have 20 points. He's a points league kind of guy. Doesn't do much in in nine-category formats. And then Doug McDermott, who we talked about on yesterday's podcast, I was like, look, this guy's playing 30 minutes of power forward right now. Or a small forward, I guess. He and Keldon Johnson kind of interchangeable there. And he put up 25 on 13 shots. He can be pretty efficient. I don't know that he's going to get that many looks most ball games, but Doug McDermott, sort of a sneaky little points league type of option given that he basically gets all of his value out of scoring. That's pretty much it. We'll get a couple of rebounds out there, but not many. Phoenix, we mentioned on yesterday's show they had that rough late one with the Lakers and then had to fly into Portland, and this was the we-don't-really-care-about-this-game effort from the Suns. The big news from this ballgame, Norman Powell tweaked a knee. They are saying it's not a serious injury, but that could still mean weeks instead of, like, a year, which is a real damn shame because Powell had a slow first game, um, and then came back here and had 16 points in 13 minutes before getting hurt. He was on his way to a Mondo effort. C.J. McCollum picked up the pieces for Portland. The names worth watching, Anthony Simons likely to fill in for Powell for the most part. I don't think he's going to hit fantasy value, though. We'll split some of that time with Nas Little. And then the other guy we're going to watch closely is Larry Nance, who got up to 22 minutes in this game, up quite a few from game one. Was it the blowout? Was it matchups? All I know is that Portland media is pounding the Larry Nance drum, and it feels like just a matter of time before he gets more run at different places on the floor. Eight and two with two threes, two steals, and a block in 22 minutes of six usage basketball is kind of your best-case scenario for a guy playing 21 and a half minutes. Uh, Again, we only need him to get up to about 24, and then we're good to go, and that... 100, you know, whatever ADP, 135, 140, that'll hit easily if he's in the 24 range. So not that far off. We'll keep an eye on that. I get it if you can't hang on while you're waiting for it, but I'm going to wait for the most part on Larry Nance. If you're in a head-to-head and you sort of need the, somebody to rack up counting stats, that's fine. But Roto, you could just stick him on your bench for a week or two. It's not that tough. Pretend he's injured. I don't care. And then Memphis and the Clippers. That was the other homework game we assigned last night, and things went pretty much according to plan. Five starters for Memphis played starters minutes, basically. Steven Adams, stardom. Jaron Jackson Jr., stardom. D'Anthony Melton, stardom. Desmond Bain, stardom. John Morant, stardom. Yeah, that's it. Everybody else, drop them. Slow-mo, drop them. That's probably the only Memphis guy that's not rostered or that is rostered that isn't in their starting lineup. And on the Clippers' side, more good stuff for us to work with here. Eric Bledsoe, 12-6-7 with four defensive stats on a bad shooting night. He's a must-roster, must-start player right now, and probably for the duration. He looks fired up to be back in L.A. Reggie Jackson, 17 shots. I know he didn't do much else, but that's a great sign for him. And it's probably enough volume even to get him over that not great nine category player hump that he's always been up against because his field goal percent is bad. He doesn't get many steals or blocks. Usually there's some more assisting going on here. Reggie did a lot of the actual shooting and not much of the actual passing. But if he's on the floor for 36 minutes, a lot of ball games, he'll just bungle his way into four assists a night. And that along with 17 shots is more than enough. So that's a nice little value there as well. Nick Batum came in, played 23 minutes, and they pretty much 
Like, a lot of them came from Terrence Mann, who only got 26. He's droppable. Marcus Morris never needed to be rostered. Batum, we'll watch to see if his minutes ramp up from here. If they do, you might give him a look. But for now, you can basically leave him on the waiver wire. Folks, quick uh, ask here in the middle of the show to check out our buddies over at Manscaped.com. Coupon code there is HoopBall20. Get anything you want for 20% off and free shipping from buddies at Manscaped.com. Also, thank you once again, everybody, that continues to leave reviews on Fantasy NBA today. We've added a few here during the run-up to the NBA season. As I've said before, if you guys write something funny, I'll probably read it on air most of the reviews lately have just been nice which isn't funny but also is nice so thank you for those five stars much appreciated open the podcast app or itunes search for fantasy nba today click on the show title scroll down on your mobile app that's where the rating review part is and if it's on a computer you can just click on the there's a rate and review button drop us a five star write something funny thank you in advance means a ton that's how we continue to stay relatively high on the leaderboards in fantasy basketball podcasts. I think we're generally kind of floating around in that number two bucket. And um, that makes me happy when I see that. That makes me a a happy Dan. So anyways, we'll turn the page here as we kind of, again, try to shoot through this stuff at a better clip today. Uh, One ball game already through three quarters. As of now, Miles Bridges, another Mondo effort going on. But beyond that, first of all, no Terry Rozier, so Kelly Oubre got the start and hasn't been looking very good. Gordon Hayward having a night off as well. LaMelo Ball has not really been clunked by the efficiency stuff yet. In fact, doesn't even have a turnover to this point. But the big story here, P.J. Washington just not even really playing at this point. Uh, 17 minutes at the end of the third quarter. Maybe he gets another handful, but whatever it is, it's not enough. Mason Plumlee seeing the bulk of the center minutes against a Brooklyn team that, frankly you could argue isn't very big. I know LaMarcus Aldridge is a bigger dude, but it's not like he's going to be outrunning people for rebounds, nor is Paul Millsap. So there just isn't that much of an impetus to play P.J. Washington right now. I thought maybe it was a matchup thing against the Pacers. Now I think that the the Hornets just realize they need Plumlee's size on the floor, or they're going to get pushed around a little bit. I don't know if Mason's going to do enough for fantasy value on this team because he's not the offense isn't going to get run through him at all like it was in Detroit for stretches last year and he has the free throw issue he's got all these problems with his fantasy game so I don't know that he necessarily needs to be on a roster but his presence has certainly obliterated the relevance of PJ Washington and I did I think at this point PJ probably droppable I think I'd advise, as with all guys that get drafted in the 70s and 80s, you want to give them a little bit more leeway. Because, again, we're not even through the first half of... We're not even through the first week of the season. But sometimes you can see it quickly, and it doesn't look like there's any one thing that's about to switch. Especially when you consider the fact that Miles Bridges is just annihilating all of the power forward minutes, and rightfully so. He's probably been the best player on that team, a team with LaMelo Ball and Gordon Hayward on it. And they don't even have Terry Rozier healthy right now. A lot of bodies out that way. Not really much to watch for on the Brooklyn side. There was, I was sort of looking into LaMarcus Aldridge to see what might go down there. No Blake Griffin, so that gave him a a little bit more room. LaMarcus is going to need a solid 25, 26 minutes a game, but it's not, it feels idiotic, and I don't think in head-to-head you can do it because they're going to give him nights off. But in Roto, it's worth paying attention to on the chance that 
he, maybe he he the games where he's healthy enough to play, then perhaps he gets those 24, 25 minutes. But I need way more data before I dive into that madness. Orlando gets their revenge against the New York Knicks in a couple of hours, uh, hour and a half or so, roughly, here. Oh, boy. Uh, Knicks just steamrolled him in Orlando a couple days ago. I, I like I would love to bet the magic on this game, but I don't think I can bet the magic in any game. They look so terrible that I, I really don't know how many points they would need for me to think about them. I will say this from, from a fantasy standpoint, keep an eye on Jalen Suggs. We're sort of watching his learning curve as it goes. Because he did look better in their second ball game, but plagued and will be by rookie inefficiency stuff. And on the Knicks side, I want to see Kemba Walker get a little bit more involved throughout the ball game, as opposed to just a little burst early and then like, oh, well, we're up by 30, so I don't need to do much anymore. Maybe this isn't the game for it, since they might win another one by 30, but that's the angle. Boston is without Jalen Brown for this ball game. That means Josh Richardson most likely gets a little bit of bonus run. They need a win, and they're in a good place to get it against the Houston Rockets team that now faces off against a good opponent again. And so we'll see who actually gets the minutes here. Christian Wood will. Pretty sure about that. I feel pretty confident saying Jay Sean Tate will also. Kevin Porter is going to play, but it might be ugly against a better team. We'll see. But Houston is a, a screwy spot. I don't know if I can make it necessarily a homework assignment for the Rockets because it could just be such a cluster mess free-for-all that what do we even learn by watching? Philly, I don't even know who's playing for the Sixers right now. They may be without a center for this ballgame, in which case, you know, whatever. OKC, though, everybody gets to eat against the Thunder, so guys like Tyrese Maxey, Seth Curry, probably Matisse Thybul, you can get them all in there because the Thunder are terrible and don't even have a fantasy player worth using right now. Shea will get there, make no mistake, he'll get there, but he's been one of the worst players in the league through his first couple of ballgames, averaging 15.5-4-2 on horrific shooting numbers with three turnovers and not a single defensive stat so far. That makes him a buy low in Roto. In head-to-head, you better believe he ain't playing every game down the stretch, and that will be a pain. Warriors, Sacramento, nothing really on the fantasy side to watch in this game. We've been trying to call our shot with Nemanja Bielica, and I bet he plays better in this one against his old team, the Kings, who gave him a whole lot of wiggle room for a couple of years there. You guys probably remember the Nemanja Bielica voodoo doll segments on the podcast. Is there like an actual revenge angle here? I don't know, but he probably does know the opponent relatively well. And so I think he'll play better here. I expected 9-6 and six in his last ball game. He gave a 6-6. Six and six. I don't know why, honestly. I really don't know why I'm playing this game other than I just think it's so funny that the Warriors have now convinced NBA media to run with this Bielitsa EuroLeague MVP, like future superstar thing, when it would be so much easier for them to just run with the he's going to be a very useful and versatile backup angle. I always say... I know that this has nothing to do with the game we're about to break down. I always say to my wife, if you're going to try to get me to watch a movie or a show or something like that, undersell it, and then when I watch it, I can be blown away. Set the bar low and let something go flying over it. Impress us all. Tell me, hey, Bielitsa, he's going to have a role with this team, and all we really want, we being the Warriors, all we really want is to get him out there let him move the ball, spread the floor a little bit, and anything else we get, that's great. And then he comes out and has a really good game against the Lakers and just and that and leaps over the bar. But then at least the bar is still set at useful 
So when he's not very good in their second ball game, we can still say, well, you know what? He was still useful. I don't know. This this old Yelitsa thing just tickles the hell out of me. And I think it does because my good buddy, my college roommate, sent me a, a G-chat that was asking, like, hey, what do you think about Bielitsa? And I was like, oh, my God. Like, this this narrative from the Warriors has gotten everywhere. They've done a wonderful marketing job on him. So today against Sacramento, I'm giving him 12-7 and seven with three assists and a three-pointer. I think he has a better ball game here. Kings, we know them. Grizzlies, I think we know them now. Start the starters. And with the Lakers, don't. LeBron and AD, don't touch anybody else right now. Not even Russ. He's di- he, their whole thing is a disaster. This should be a fun ball game, though. Uh, LA running up against a team that, that doesn't play a, a truckload of defense. They're going to get out and they're going to move. Everybody's going to score. It's going to be a blast. Maybe the Lakers get their first win, but I don't know how you bet on LA with as bad as they've looked so far. And it's quite bad. And that's your Sunday show, ladies and germs. Again, hit me up on Twitter, at Dan Vespers. I'm not going to do a whole lot of silly Twitter stuff on a Sunday because everybody's watching football anyway, but I got some ideas for this coming week. You guys know last week we I rated your teams. I had you guys throw names at me, and I broke down fantasy players individually. Uh, we rated trades. I've got some more ideas. I, I really want to do more on social this year. I think I have so far, and uh, with your help, we can just sort of keep it cooking out there, at Dan Vespers on Twitter. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a hoopball presentation. I will mention, too, by the way, hoopball premium Discord is the place to go if you want one-on-one help for your individual fantasy team. That's where the pros are available 24-7 from hoopball, including myself. I'll be hosting a live Q&A hour, roughly, give or take, on Discord tomorrow, Monday the 25th and every Monday. Uh, But you got to have a fantasy pass and get into our Discord to get it. Fantasy Pass is just $5.99 over at Hoopball. Also, Aaron Bruski's very premium podcast drops tomorrow for the first time this year. That's also available exclusively for folks with the Fantasy Pass and any bundle you might have that includes the Fantasy Pass, such as the All Fantasy Bundle, the Old School Bundle, and Hoopball 360. All right, you've been promoted to death. Now you can enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Back at you tomorrow, Monday. It's not reverse chronological lightning round when we do a show every day, so we will just pick up the pieces, do it again, see what we figured out from Sunday night, a day without basketball homework. Isn't that nice? You can just relax, and of course, if something crazy happens, we'll let you know. So long, everybody. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.